Radio Outcast is a funky gunslinging podcast for mature audiences. Content warning. This episode contains depictions of violence, guns, and gunshots throughout the episode that may be upsetting for some listeners. We encourage our listeners to prioritize their safety before venturing ahead. Thank you. Allow me, if you will, an opportunity to lament about the state of transportation in this, the year 1887. You see, the common folk speak of these Pacific railroads as if God himself pushed them through his own bloodied tracts. Apologies, I don't speak and grunt. The Mistress of Death demanded me towards some bump town, Lone Flats, New Mexico. However, what could have been a three days journey became six, and then eight, and then ten. Because I could not risk traveling the Union Pacific through Utah, where I spent an eternal 15 years, and where my past now waits, and I could not risk connection with the Southern Pacific through Texas, where my future awaits. You see, I've learned that Texans are the most unforgiving brutes, particularly the mustachioed sort. Am I losing you? Please try to keep up. So, with all conveniences gone, I was forced to take a carriage to Richmond, and then rail to Louisville, and then rail to St. Louis, where I bathed in whiskey until I became spiritually paralyzed so that I might have forgotten my recent near-death experience, but I did not. I remained blurred through my travels across Kansas City and woke to Albuquerque and its intolerable desiccation. A city as dried as my liver. <coughs> mm-hmm. Ah, your carriage fees. Please forward the charge along to Mr. Matthews at the Texas Cartographers Guild out in Abilene. He is my superior. To conclude my journey westward, I was granted a golem of a man for carriage. He steered us into the orange desert deeps of New Mexico, refusing courtship of any kind, and seemed impervious to my stories of travel and geographical expertise. Now, when I suggested 
I could not pay him immediately. He glanced down at the rusted pistol on his hip, and, at last, he spoke. Akio man. I had evaded one bullet. I did not expect to survive another. <coughs> of course. Here you are. <laughs> now, would you be so kind as to direct me toward... <laughs> Charming. As instructed by the mistress, I was to carry the leaden Sony machine and search for a woman not of this time. How was this speaking metal machine meant to assist me in my travels? I could not know. That was the extent of her details. Indeed, I'm on a fool's errand. <coughs> <coughs> but even a genius would comply with such demands when a bullet lingers at the bridge of your nose and when your lungs further collapse with each passing cough, you welcome any extension of life, be it divine or infernal. <laughs> <laughs> you here to build a bank? <laughs> Ladies, I have no judgment for your craft. Well, in fact, I respect the art of performance and the grit and beauty that Mr. comes Banker, with... Mr. Banker, my uh, time ain't free. If you want to talk, I'll listen for a price. Uh, perhaps. <laughs> Where might I um, find information on this sanctuary of a town? <laughs> The chorus of hyenas pointed me onward into town, if you could call that barren lone flats a town. I followed the gaze of their long, pointed nails until my eyes met a pair of saloon doors. <coughs> In such dust towns as lone flats. The landscape reveals itself in pieces. The deeper I walked into the town's belly, the more that I could make out. A rickety general store, a saloon with two rocking chairs out front, and a two-storied brothel, no doubt the origins of those cackling working women. As I approached the steps of the lone flat saloon, I spied in the dust-covered distance something peculiar. Through the orange fog, there rose a tall and slender obelisk of sorts. Something of a bell tower, I supposed, a pitch black and perfectly rectangular. Now, at the moment, I considered it one of two possibilities. My utter dehydration had gotten to my senses, or it was something of a local monument. Of course, it was neither. As I approached the saloon door, 
embers, another peculiar sight appeared. A young cowboy, a black cowboy, strutting right out of the saloon doors on some private mission. And he sported a beige hat with a wide brim better cared for than any other cowboy hat you'd find in that town. I nodded gentlemanly toward him and provided a smile. And he looked perfectly through me and carried himself forth and away. Welcome to Lone Flats Indeed. <laughs> oh. Day one. This is a diary of the bad hands God delivers us, and the true record of a man fighting the dealer. The first man they turn away, and the last they want to turn their guns on. I am that man, Jesse Rogers, the Southpaw. Just rolled up on the town of Lone Flats that day to buy some info off the first lead I'd had in years. Went to the saloon where I was meant to drop the cash. Just when I thought the bartender would take me to my contact, he told me the deal had changed. It was a town full of skunks. On top of money, they wanted me to steal from the town mayor. Something about a necklace with an emerald so big, it's got at least triple what I was going to pay. Could have said no. Gut told me to do the clean thing. But they had me by the balls. Knew I was desperate for any crumb leading me back to those bastards. Based on the whispers... They're too dangerous to sell out cheap. Not half bad. Thanks. I'll be back for another soon. <laughs> I'm sure you will. Start next door. Ask for Marigold. Got it. See you around, kid. Some dandy, a banker maybe, smiled at me as I left. A short man, ash white hair that made him look older than his face. Fuck knows what he wanted from me, so I just kept moving. told me you weren't looking to spend. <laughs> looking for Miss Marigold. Mm. Inside. Before Marigold's place, I'd never been in a whorehouse, not even for a job. 
The entrance stretched into a room covered in gold curtains with star shapes painted on them. There was a flight of stairs that was covered in a long rug which led up to the private rooms. The curtains parted. A small woman came out in a fancy dress with her lips painted purple. How can I help you? Miss Marigold? Do you need something, young man? I ain't here to start any trouble. Well then, you may follow me to meet the girls. Need a way into the mayor's party tonight. Was told to come here, look for a marigold. Are you a man of business, mister? Could be. Your name? Jesse. Family name? Can you get me in or not? Listen, Mr. Jesse, no name. The mayor and I have an agreement. My girls and I are not owned or bothered by anyone so long as I grease the wheels of negotiation for them. Meaning? Seeing how you don't seem the type to be in loan flats for negotiations, I'll make it clear for you. We flatter men's egos to the point where they make poor deals, but great ones for the sake of the town. The smarter ones pay me directly, so they, the mayor is the one whose ego gets stroked to feel he's the one winning and said. In the end, my house is free. If you've been led to find me here, I will assume you're smarter than most rich men. You'll find me a neutral ally, though my friendship does not come for free. Anyone ever tell you you talk too much? <laughs> you should feel flattered. Your company has put me so at ease. I couldn't help but tell you my whole tale. Yeah, I'm sure. How much? Twenty dollars. Are you crazy? What about me tells you I can afford that? As I said, that is the fee necessary for the services you would need. An invitation, an escort, and... My silence. Jesus. Fine. Fine. But I'll pay you after. <laughs> oh, now you've offended me, Mr. Jesse. It was a pleasure meeting you. No, I can spare five now. I'll get you the rest after, I swear. Good day, Mr. Jesse. Damn. Now what? Just as I was about to go, a door flew open upstairs. A woman emerged, had a wild look about her. She wore a yellow dress the same color as the little lightning bolts dangling from her ears. Should have taken my chance to leave found another way, then I wouldn't be stuck in the mess I'm in now.
Mom? Oh, mother. Please. Come on, just answer me. Fine. Guess I shouldn't expect you to answer when you wouldn't even talk to me at the trial. Listen, I know I never took prayer seriously, though. I bet you'd say I never took anything seriously. Shit. I can... Fuck. I mean... Whoops. Probably shouldn't cuss during a prayer. I'm sorry, okay? You told me this would happen with Emmy, that I wouldn't be able to give her what she wanted and only get myself burned. No matter how pretty it is, that's what happens when you play with fire, right? But you know this isn't fair. I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be lost, powerless, stuck in a place that's so quiet it's eerie and where no one wears deodorant. I miss the 80s. The real 80s. I thought I put the 19th century well behind me, but I guess Emmy had other ideas. What the fuck? She sent me back in time and threw me in a brothel. As soon as I stood up, I nearly fell back down to the ground. Something wasn't right. Someone as used to the mortal plane as me should not have felt like that. Koda felt weird too. Said they felt... empty. No. This can't be happening. I didn't have any of my powers anymore. I was mortal. And in a bit of denial, I won't lie. But if my powers are gone, why are you still here, Koda? It doesn't make any sense. Koda fluttered to one of the brothel windows. I followed them. Outside, the world looked and felt older. Obviously, I was no longer in the Bronx. I wondered if I might not even be in 1987 either. There was just one long dirt road with people riding on top of horses. Felt like I'd gone completely 7.30. The weirdest thing, though, was that outside, up on a huge bluff of land, stood a large black tower. It looked like something out of a, a Hitchcock film, or whatever. But it was also sort of familiar. Why did I feel drawn to it? Maybe because, like the tower, I was also out of place. Did you put it there, Mom? Is this your way of saying I'm looking out for you? Don't say you're just sitting up there, looking down, watching me look like a total whack job. Don't ask me why. Do you see that tower? I think we need to get over there. But I, I can't exactly walk around in a crop top and miniskirt. Help me go through these dresses for something that'll fit, yeah? Oh my god, that is so cute. But no, the idea is to not stand out. You see those people walking down the street? Hideous. Those dresses would get you kicked out of any decent club. Koda, find me something as terrible so we'll fit in. Go with something canary yellow. At least it'll match my earrings. It's just like Emmy to drop me in a whorehouse. You know how petty she is, Coda. 
Like, remember how if I even barely looked at another god or goddess, she'd get all damaged? Ooh, found some clean undergarments. Ugh, anyways, it's ironic, because I'm not the one who slept around. Oh yes, I love the bodice. Great choice, Coda. Okay, all done. Now we just need some shoes. Oh, you know what? Who needs shoes? Let me just fix up my hair. And there. Does that look right? I honestly can't tell if it's too modern or not. Thanks. Now, let's get out of here. Maybe I was a little too eager as I left, but I had a plan. Well, I had a destination. So I opened the door, ready to leave that brothel in the mortal plane as soon as I could. I saw a door outside and sprinted down the stairs, hoping no one would catch me as I left. Lo and behold, I immediately ran into someone. A tall man blocking my way to the door, the ivory grip of his gun sticking out from the holster. Uh, hi. Are you the no. bouncer? Oh, great. The what now? Like, the guard? I mean, obviously you're not the guard. And I would know that, clearly, as someone who works here. Right. Yeah, I'm, uh, the bouncer. <laughs> Why not? Right. Why not? The cowboy pointed a finger at the ground, signaling for me to crouch down by the stairs. It wasn't like he was bossing me around. It was more like it was in both of our interests to hide. So I did. Mr. Jesse, stand in there longer. Like an obstinate mule will not change my mind. Sorry, I dropped something. <laughs> I could tell he was thinking really hard about something. It's the same look you get, Mom, when you're figuring out how to trick me and my sisters to work together. The cowboy had a plan, and as I crouched there, hiding from the lady, I knew I was about to be a part of that plan. Well... He opened the door, turned his back to her, and glanced at me. It was a signal. A signal for what? I don't know. But I needed to bounce out of that brothel without any extra drama. And the cowboy gave me an opening. I waited a bit after he left. Once I was sure the woman had gone too, I ran out the door. As soon as I stepped out on the brothel's porch, a woman in a fluffy tulle dress turned to me. Her eyeliner went out to her ears. Hey, 
Hey, are you new? Me? Don't look so scared. Yes, I mean you. She's with me. We're just about to leave. Uh, what? Where? Hey, cowboy. I don't care that you gave my friend a bit of change. We don't let our girls leave our doors or our safety. Already spoke to Marigold. It's all sorted. She'll be my escort for the mayor's party. Party? Uh, uh, right. The, the party. Marigold said something along the lines of men with mugs as nasty as mine needing the opposite company. That sounds like something she'd say. I'm sure she gave you the rundown already, but no offense, you look kind of naive. Just remember to keep your wits about you, especially around clients, okay? Her kindness was a shocking jolt after the trial. Humans really are too quick to protect strangers. Okay. Come on. Got a lot of road to cover. So I followed him, if only to figure out where I was and what was going on. At the time, I had no idea that we were both headed to the same place anyway. A saloon in the center of nowhere. A watering hole for the untrimmed mustaches of the world. No doubt I held more teeth in my own mouth than all those drunken rubes combined. Good sir, you are this establishment's bartender, yes? Who else do I look like? Grover Cleveland? <laughs> Very humorous, good sir. But I can assure you I've met President Cleveland, and his mustache was far better. It soon occurred to me that I'd already drawn uncomfortable attention to myself. The Rat Trap's patrons had their eyes on me, or rather, fixed upon my suit and pockets. They seemed rather amused, some even disgusted with me. It seemed that my Commonwealth charms had fallen entirely flat in Lone Flats. <laughs> Forgive me, sir, it's been a terribly long journey. Is this a terribly long way of asking for a free drink? Oh, no, sir. Nothing like that. Although I do have an inquiry, and I'd never say no to a free drink, uh, an inquiry about a strange woman, a woman not of this time eh? perhaps she passed through this fine saloon hmm? son if you're asking about the whorehouse go out Goodness, and turn no don't misunderstand me i'm not in search of a well i suppose she could but well it just doesn't seem L listen son you're disturbing the regulars you can either stop speaking in codes or go on and sort yourself outside. Now, I had seen my rank degraded once too often. Nearly shot by a bloodthirsty Texan, utterly dismissed by the post-verbial carriage driver, and now belittled by a lowly western rube. 
Think me not prideful. However, this was merely part of the role. <laughs> now, what would Charles Osgood say? Codes? I'm speaking in educated English, Mr. Bartender. I'm speaking each word as they are properly writ. Don't you understand? Writ. Writ. Have you ever sat and read a book with words? Now, a true shapeshifter dedicates himself at all costs. It is the only way to make a living from it, even if you might make a dying from it. Anything less, and you're nothing but a thespian. It seemed that my saloon outburst had set off the wrong bells, or perhaps the right ones, whichever, the bartender and his lazy-legged loons started reaching for their holsters, and that they had that particular look in their eyes. The same look that Mr. Matthews, the true Roy Matthews, the mustachioed ogre, had given me in Virginia. And my estimations told me this is the killing gaze. But it did seem the admonishments were going to continue pouring from my mouth without regard and with no clear reckoning. <coughs> One might call it a death wish. I am quite literally on a mission for death herself, fulfilling her wishes. <laughs> Would she allow me to ruin myself so simply? <laughs> I doubt it. I could say whatever I pleased, and absolutely no harm would come. Have any of you in this wretched place ever read a book that didn't have little pretty pictures in it? I told you. Take yourself out. No doubt he could have struck me had he aspired to. Now, I spent a whole childhood in the West, and the years after at the Pharaoh table. Now, I know these sorts of men. They knew the difference between a paralyzing shot and one that kills. But death was on my side now. Instead, he struck the corner of the Sony machine. Sony machine began to make a terrible rotating and beeping noise, uh, and the saloon patrons, if they did not want to destroy the screeching machine, they looked to steal it for scrap parts. I needed to escape. I needed to escape. <clears throat> right. <laughs> yes. That's um. All I needed. <laughs> Farewell. <laughs> Anomaly? Hello? 
Anomaly. It was unlike the tube. The machine only spoke at me, and I could only speak at it, but never in conversation. I do hope these nightly recordings are coming through. I, I'm only doing as Death herself instructed, speaking into it as one might a, a diary. She made it a part of our infernal deal, this bastard machine. Mistress of Death, Sonny Machine, I need you to quiet down for risk of me getting shot. Again, or, well, again, again. On that dusty road, Sonny's interminable beeping continued, and after every handful of minutes, it reminded me of its first tower and anomaly. I walked to the Lone Flat's thoroughfare and strode in circles, listening to its beeping speed up and down. First tower located. Was the first tower the anomaly? At 102 meters, the beeping seemed faster than before. Then, at 135, at its slowest. Oh, excuse me, madame. Oh, Mr. Banker. You've decided to make a withdrawal. Uh, no, madame. I'm not a banker. I'm looking for a woman out of... Oh. I see now. That little device of yours? You must be one of those land surveyors. Looking to strike up some oil? You know, I thought that big tower down the way was for drawing the oil. The tower? I recalled the bell tower I'd seen before. What I presumed to be a bell tower. But does one activate a bell tower? Perfect. Thank you, madam. Now, have you happened to see a, um, woman out of time? I'm looking for someone. Like I said before, darling, I charge for my time. I see all sorts of women every day. All of them are out of time, in one way or another. That's why women charge for their time, because we are out of time. I was beginning to understand the bartender's frustrations listening to words spoken in code and all, when, from out of the brothel doors, emerged a most curious duet. Wait, I'm sorry, do you know that woman? Any half-decent eye would note her hair, unruly and gathered by a ribbon, as not of this time. Less obvious, but certainly clear to someone with my polished skill set, was the misfit of her gown, the strange, jagged, metallic earrings, her unshodden feet. The young woman's clothes were not worn with intention. As I said, the difference between a thespian and a shapeshifter is dedication, and this woman running along after that young black cowboy I crossed earlier, she wore this for survival. Yes, the frilly yellow gown wore her, quickly thrown on. This was not a character, she... Which woman? I know many women. First tower located. Anomaly located. I had gotten what I needed from the woman on the road. 
I pushed past her and followed the couple from a distance, burrowing the beeping Sony machine beneath my coat flap to muffle the noise. Their bodies became silhouettes against the orange dust of lone flats, and far beyond them, rising in the distance, was the black obelisk. It looked the same as before, activated or not. The beeping machine slowed down as their bodies disappeared into the layers of orange dust, but I could not run closer for risk of them hearing this damned machine. No matter how I tried to quiet the machine, pressing its various colored buttons or punching into its belly, it seemed the bartender's bullet lodged itself into some deep part of the Sony machine that keeps it alive. Sonny, I need you to control yourself. Are you alive or not? Are you listening, mistress? My pleas to no avail. I chased after the shadows of the cowboy and the imposter, but they were younger and faster. They disappeared into the orange dust, presumably headed toward the mysterious tower. The most I could do was continue forward. <sighs> what did that young man and woman have in common? Has death given me a challenger, someone to race in order to save ourselves? Were he and I given the same mission? These were the questions on my mind, distracting me as I wandered forward into the ocean of orange dust, traveling into the New Mexico mist, when I walked straight into the metal gate of the mayor's front yard. Anomaly located. After massaging the inevitable lump on my forehead, I spied there, on the other side of the mayor's gates, the couple approaching the mayoral mansion. Why visit the town mayor? Who cares for a provincial landlord? first thought she was just another of marigold's girls thing is she was so cagey i knew better than to buy into my first thought but i needed an escort quick and this girl looked desperate to leave that place thought maybe she was a thief trying to run after finding some loot in the room upstairs when that working girl didn't recognize her and thought she was new i figured i was on the money the girl all too quickly tagged along Seems she was looking for something, too. Uh, not to sound unappreciative or whatever, but why did you help me? Because you're helping me now. I am. Following me, aren't you? Yeah, but I could leave. And I could take you back to that brothel and tell them I caught you stealing from them. Figured we'd make this easier for each other. But I didn't steal? Well, technically I did, but it's really just borrowing, I think. Don't care. Just need a pretty face for marigolds to get me into the party. I won't sleep with you. I wasn't... No one's asking you to. 
All you gotta do is act like you actually work for Marigold. Well, okay. But I got somewhere I gotta be. You'll get there. After the party. Let's start with names. Real, then fake. Helix. What? My name? It's Helix. <laughs> that a joke? Okay. That's rude. What's your name then? Buck? John Sam? Dan the Cowboy Man? Shooty McGee the Shooting Fanners? It's Jesse. Jesse Rogers. Uh huh. Exactly. Could tell this wasn't gonna become any sort of friendship, me and her. Had the attitude of a bad wind. But all I needed was her to get me in and some time away from the party. Notice she kept glancing at that tower on the mesa behind the mayor's house. She was distracted when we got to the door. Yeah, I could tell. That's where she was headed. But this Helix woman would wait. Hope to God she wouldn't ruin my best chance at getting this necklace. you be? Mayor Lingood, a pleasure. I am one of Miss Marigold's newest girls. Miss Donna Summer. Miss Summer, the pleasure is mine. Anyone under the care of Miss Marigold is always welcome in my home, especially when they come accompanied. Who might you be, dear fella? Mayor Lynn Good. Name's Nate Eaton. The madam, I'm one of the new girls. She sent me for Mar- Marigold is her name. She the said... The usual arrangement, Mayor. Marigold said you'd understand. Mr. Eaton and Miss Summer. Come in. Come in. There is more than enough room for the peria. Things are barely underway. You too, Mr. Eaton. What did you say you do? Hey. Apologies, Mayor Lynn Good. My business is cattle, sir. Usually, I get into fancy homes by lowering my status, not lifting it. But Lynn Good didn't seem to care how much I contributed to the conversation. Seems Marigold was right. Money talks in lone flats, just like anywhere else. And it looked like there were deep ties between the mayor and that brothel. Well, I wasn't asking no questions. The mayor trotted us around his place, though he didn't seem happy to play host to us for too long. He still went around pointing out every shiny thing that proved just how important he was. For such a blip of a town, the mayor's house screamed wealth took us to a large room where folks were already gathered. Families and men who seemed just as rich as the mayor. Counted a few guns among them. Plus the shotgun on display near the entrance. And the piece the mayor was carrying. One of them touched his hip when we walked in. There were only two ways out of the room once we walked in. The way we came in and a servant's door back to the kitchen. We'll need to wait a while to make any moves. 
lose their attention. A woman and a young girl came over to us. Mr. Eaton, let me introduce my wife, Jane Lingood, and my only daughter, Annabeth. Mrs. Lingood, Miss Annabeth. You have such a lovely home. I really like the candle bras. Can candle candela bras? Yeah, the candela bras. I just been dealt either a great or terrible hand. Jane Lingood was as beautiful as I heard rumors say, as in not one bit. The thing was she wasn't wearing the necklace. Her neck was bare. Meant I'd have to sneak off and try to find it. Good thing I'd had that Helix girl to use as a distraction. Radio Outcast was created by Maria Fernanda Vidorrazaga and J.T. Lachese and produced by Ann Hughes. Starring Daniel A. Stevens as Charles Osgood, Griffin Otto Deniger as the gruff carriage driver, the bartender, and Mayor Orville Lingood, Ann Hughes as the witty prostitute, the sweet prostitute, and the voice of the sunny machine, Ivory Amor de Francisca as Jesse Rogers, Maria Fernanda Vidorrazaga as Miss Marigold, Jade Duong as Helix, and Daniel Sotelo as Coda. This episode was written by Fernanda and JT, directed by Fernanda. Dialogue editing by Anne, sound design by JT, and music by Samuel Kinsella. You can find us online at RadioOutcast.com or follow us on Instagram at RadioOutcastPod and Twitter at Radio underscore Outcast. If you like what you hear, let us know by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, or Good Pods. Honestly, it helps us reach more listeners and gives us a chance to see what you all think of the show. Like physics teachers, thank you so much for your review. If you'd like to help us grow, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash radio underscore outcast. Our patrons get access to behind-the-scenes material, original scripts, and bonus content, including newspaper clips of an assassination attempt on President Cleveland and text messages between the gods. If you become a patron at the Coda tier for as little as $1 a month, you too could get a special shout-out at the end of our episodes like The Young Gun Kyrieo Stephanie C., the best bounty hunter in Lone Flats Gnome H., a determined homesteader, heading west Patrick C., the only camp cook to make a decent cup of joe around here More than just a highwayman, Alan L., who rumor says sings a mean opera Daniel W., the mysterious undertaker. 2V, the most respected cattle baron in the West. Melissa L., the city clerk with the latest hot goss. Sarah F., one of the greatest painters in Lone Flats. Rax W., who once saved my life at their incredible medicine show and definitely, definitely, definitely did not pay me to say this. Marcos L., the kindest and most attentive school marm during the day and the slyest gambler at night. Patricia D., who has a warrant out for their arrest, their crime was said to do something with stolen diamonds, a pilfered pie, and rabbits for some reason. Consuelo Yu, my favorite shopkeeper in town, and it's not just because she's my mom. Lisbeth V., a city slicker looking to find golden opportunities in our little town. 
Valeria Vie, the best pharaoh player in Lone Flat, still Charles arrived in town. The retired cavalry officer, DJ. Juan Aurelio P., the local barber who once gave the mayor's brother an emergency leeching all while also giving him the most stylish and talked about haircut that year. Our favorite man of the cloth, Andy S. Aaron B., who is new in town but already making a splash with their exclusive parties. And, of course, we can't forget Physics, who owns our famous Lone Flat Saloon, but cannot be held responsible for the mysterious deals the saloon's bartenders may or may not be making with (laughs) out-of-towners. To all of our patrons, thanks again. We appreciate you. And to everyone listening, safe travels.